Hello and welcome to the Lazy Sunday Book Club with me, Fee, and I'm joined by Annie. Hi. And Sophie. Hi. And in this episode, it is our second part of our book club for this month, the month of September. And we are looking at, well, we're looking at, we're talking about The Secret History by Donna Tartt. If you haven't re- uh, listened to part one, I do recommend you go and listen to that because we'll be discussing the second half of the book, which is book two is called, or is it called part two? Mm-hmm. Book, two. book two. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so put us on pause and go listen to the previous one. We'll be here when you get back. For a little recap of what the book is about. This book is narrated by 28-year-old Richard, who we discovered was 28 at time of narration and not at time of attending university, which made us really critically judge him. Um, but he's 20 years old in the story, in the flashbacks. But it follows a group of undergraduates at a small liberal arts school in New England who are in an exclusive Greek language seminar. And it uncovers the bonds they make and also the dangerous choices that they make um and i won't i won't we'll uh, we'll get into it well let's just start and get into it shall we so book two annie you've got a lot of uh a lot of feelings yeah so... i would like to issue a retraction is this really okay i feel like this might be related no. to the question that i had <laughs> Last week, I thought Henry was a sweetheart. Okay. I really liked oh, him thank in part the one. Fucking Lord. Jesus. I really liked him in part one. He, I, I, I did. I really liked him. I really liked that he tried to translate Milton into Latin. Do you know what, Annie? This thought... is your character development. This is character development yeah, is. that we're seeing right here. That all of them together were planning this murder. And like 10 pages into book two, I was like, wow, I really, I screwed my courage to the sticking place on Henry being a sweetie. Uh, definitely. And now he's kind of I a mean, dick. It was so- and like, <laughs> by the time he, it, he, I, I just, I hated him so quickly and it was so sharp. What was interesting to me is uh, there was a point where he said that like, he never had clarity in his life before he killed that first person. I think maybe I liked him before he had clarity and then the second he had clarity, he became awful. No, I think you liked him when you knew less about him. Yeah. I think if you knew him more, even before the clarity, you would have gone, oh, I think he's actually a bit of an arsehole instead of a sweetie. You know how when we um, did the episode on um, Odyssey... Yeah. And I yeah. asked you guys if you thought you were cult susceptible. And I was like, because I think I'm really cult susceptible. Yeah. Um, th- this is what I mean. <laughs> I think I can be easily taken in by the worst people. When you voted most likely to join a cult in high school? Was that a question? <laughs> that was, I mean, I was voted most likely to join an indigenous tribe. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but apparently the rest of my year thought I did. I mean, if that anyway, was a question, I, was, I would I have was voted. voted biggest bookworm. 
that was that you were yeah yeah i would definitely have voted i think everybody had two everybody had two i no i think it was just you got like people chose you and you got what you got yeah i don't even know who chose nobody did a survey (laughs) that was like a website where you could log on and to vote for people could you yeah i guess you just did you not remember the yearbook website anyway I, I don't think I was first in most likely to join a cult because I think I remember who that was. I'm going <laughs> to put the name in the chat. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That if this one wasn't more susceptible to joining a cult, yeah. <laughs> but I think I was second. And I think you could, you both probably agree that, yeah, that person should have been first and I should have been second. Yeah, I mean, it made it makes sense. Yeah. Even to this day, it makes yeah. sense, but, I think. But, yeah, well, I think I was very taken in by Henry. And I, this is not a come to Jesus moment. I still, um, Mr. Rochester is still, you know, up there in my heart. But Henry is a bit. Okay, I'm glad you have At least you're aware. Sense. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It, it took, and it took too long for me to see that he was an awful person. Because it was actually really funny. Like Good. just after we recorded the episode, I was downstairs and I was talking to my mom about it, and she was like, "There was one of them that was a psychopath," and I was like, "Hmm, which one of them was a psychopath?" And I was like, "You mean uh-huh. funny?" And Henry. she was like, "No, it's not funny." And I was like, "She was like, there was one of them that was like organizing it," and I was like, "Oh, Henry," and she goes, "Yeah, he was a psychopath," and I was like. Yeah, the funny was the narcissist. Between oh, funny was sweetheart and he's a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> Bunny was the narcissist and Henry was the psychopath. However, I will say I like people, you know? I will like the worst people in books, you know? In books, okay. <laughs> I hated them all, like 20 pages into book two. It was like you are all the worst people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, in fact, by the were... end, the only person I I hated Bunny in book book one. Yeah, but I kind of like liked him. I I was like, maybe he wasn't the worst of them. Maybe they were all the worst. <laughs> I just maybe think Bunny it was, was a pop- problematic group, really. I think they were I, all it awful. Was... Yeah. For most of book two, I thought Julian was the only interesting, worthwhile character. I can't even. And then by the end, I hated Julian, Julian as well. Oh my god, Julian just found thing. out and was we like, all, pieced out. We, we all kind of didn't mind the characters until we got to know them. And then we were like, oh, this one's letting me down as well. Next, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's find out what the other one's up to. Oh no, they're also an arsehole. I Great. Let's move on to I the next felt one. Like oh, maybe no, he's a psychopath. A slight sense of sympathy. Francis and Camilla. Francis. Least worst. Yeah. But that's not saying. Much. I don't know. Like, at least I felt like Francis. Nah. At times I felt like Francis felt bad about it. And then I was like, actually, I think Francis is just incredibly anxious about getting caught. I don't think this is. Yeah. This is yeah, Francis it, feels bad for Francis. Yeah. It, it wasn't a guilt thing. Richard had guilt. But Francis just had anxiety of being caught. Yeah. Yeah. Like Francis would be me if I committed a crime. Just like total anxiety all the time. Actually, you know Did... who was good? Who? Judy Poovey. She she was nice. Yeah, she actually was. And gossipy. 
she was gossipy. I, I like, she wasn't that interesting. That. She wasn't that present, but like, I mean, that was so. A lot of the things I said about book one, I do think that like the narrative dismantled the idea that they were special, which was what my main complaint about book one. But I don't think it ever addressed the like the fundamental privilege of a small liberal arts college. I don't in think I was interested in that. And I also think that was also why Bunny's death was so important, whereas the farmer didn't matter. Oh, I don't know. I think I think you might be onto something, but I think also the significance of Bunny's death was why it was so important to other people in the in the college and other people outside the Greek class felt it was mainly because i think mm. the Greek, the people who were in the greek class almost didn't realize bunny had a life outside of it and i think they were shocked by that that yeah. oh wait there were other people who knew and liked bunny mm. but and i think the farmer had that you know the farmer had that i think obviously they and the fact that they were more worried about getting caught for bunny's death rather than the farmer's death was almost mm. this almost this innate awareness that more privilege means more of that there is more care for yeah. this person and should anything mm. happen it will be looked at in more depth because of that privilege but i but like the narrative was so interested in showing us the people who loved bunny and the people who were affected by bunny's death and the you know all of that had no interest in in thinking about the personhood of the farmer no but i think that was the that i think that was yeah. the point i think you're right but that was the point yeah because like richard doesn't he, care about he, the farmer exactly like it's his perspective yeah. he doesn't he didn't know the farmer but, but i think the book in some respect buys into the idea that bunny is more important than the farmer well, it does that from the initial page because yeah. it's all about I'm going to tell you how we killed Bunny and yeah. how we got away with it. Rather than... Right, but and the farmer was, an, was almost she base... an event rather than <laughs> the event. Yeah. Because also I think I was reading something and like I think Donatart based the college on a liberal arts college that she had been to herself. Oh, and so I feel like I don't know, but I think I saw read that either on the cover or Wikipedia or something. Yeah. So I feel like she probably innately buys into the idea that these things should exist because she's like been to one. So I don't know how much of an interest she has in like examining uh, whether they should College, exist in the first Vermont. Yeah. So like I, I feel like maybe that's mm. kind of where her blind spot but, comes but, from. Oh my god! So many in amazing people went to Bennington. Like who? Sorry. Uh, Judith Butler. <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds... uh, Brett Easton Ellis, author of American Psycho. Oh. Peter Dinklage. Oh, yeah. Let's kind of go back to the events that we encounter within book two and maybe like the chrono yeah. like try and go a bit chronologically because last time we kind of were just introduced uh, talking about the characters and, and mm -hmm. our feelings about them let's talk about the contents of the actual storyline um 
So I try really hard to remember exactly what happened. <laughs> so, okay, going into this, we... Uh, Bunny's death is confirmed. Um, and we kind of start going into almost this the days after mm-hmm. with the group. I... This section, the search for mm. Bunny and then Bunny's funeral really dragged mm-hmm. for me. It I felt, felt like same. it took forever. It just, I got, I really kind of, I don't know if it's because we took a break and I got out of it and then I came back in. But that section really dragged and I didn't get back into the book until they came back to Hampton after his funeral. Like that whole mm-hmm. section when they're sort of waiting for Bunny's body to be found, like, I don't know, I just didn't... I don't remember. Didn't care. (laughs) It dragged on purpose. Yeah, like I think it did drag on purpose, but to the point where I'm just like, I started to. But it was difficult to read. To zone out Mm. because I was like, oh my God, just get to the. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. So some of my criticisms are about the characters Mm -hmm. who I think are are written to be awful. You know? Yeah. That's on purpose. Some of my criticisms are about Mm. the novel itself. And one of my criticisms about the novel itself is that I think she wants to have it both ways in that Bunny was isolated from everyone and so it took days for him to be reported missing. But also she wants to show the way in which Bunny was important to more than mm. just them. But I'm not sure that he was because I felt that a lot of the grief around Bunny's death was performative. Like every like a tragedy yeah. happened. So they started dragging on to like the one time they conversed with Bunny during lunch that like he didn't have a deep yeah. connection with them that it was all these people like piling you know how people do they they, they like insert themselves into a tragedy i kind of got the mm. vibe it might have like it was that not that yeah. he had like a i agree oh uh, go well, on i i think she she did a lot of picking things up and putting them down like there were so many things that she addressed for about five ten minutes in the novel. Like, do you remember the weird stuff about the guy who fixed Henry's car, thinking he'd seen something, and then the thing that he thought he'd seen was a bunny with some Arabic men in a white car, that... and it turned out that he was extremely mm. racist. The subplot was just not like I. I I found that subplot really tedious. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see the relevance in that. If I'm honest. Well, I think she wanted, like, I think she just was shoving things in. Like, I don't think this needed to address, like, the hatred, American hatred for Arabs. Like, this just doesn't feel like it's relevant in this. And I also think that it was another way for her to sort of um, denigrate the Did it feel tokenistic to you guys? It felt mm-hmm. tokenistic, but it also felt like she was... Uh, yeah, like, it was like, look how horrible they but are, think... but Bunny is also horrendously racist. Yeah. So it's not like I'm... Like, uh, yeah, there's... Were you surprised yeah. by... Because uh, I was surprised about kind of this, the how many people had good things to say about Bunny because you just assumed he was an asshole to everyone. But I think the thing about Bunny was that he was the nicest the less you knew about the less you knew him. Mm. Because that's the thing, like 
Richard thought he was friends with Bunny, but only because he didn't know Bunny. Yeah. So he thought Bunny was joking with him when actually Bunny was laughing at him. Yeah. So all these people were like, oh, Bunny was a great guy. And it's like, yeah, because they didn't know and didn't realize that Bunny was a fucking asshole and just like the worst person. Anyone else found themselves like forgetting how awful Bunny was and kind no. of missing him? The more people no. mourned him. <laughs> I never forgot that he was a horrible racist, homophobic, misogynist. That just, yeah, that snuck with me. I mean, I think there was basically a full fortnight in between when I read the first <laughs> book and when I read the second book. But I also think, like, these things work on me. I was like, God, funny. He was so sweet. He was so funny. <laughs> I feel like you probably missed the drama of Bunny, which I think he added drama in part yeah. one which was the interesting bit it scenes with bunny in it were interesting but yeah. now that he was dead yeah. that's why it felt a bit tedious at parts because it was like now we're left with the characters who maybe don't have a lot of character to them and and and, and, and like even their speech you know bunny at least was sarcastic and interesting conversations but the others didn't really have that to them I think here's my contention mm. I think a much more sophisticated novel would have had Bunny be first of all would have engaged more with the question of the elite institution and the working class people who live beside it and would have mm. respected the working class people but also um would have allowed bunny to be a likable character mm. i think that would have been a more... i don't know if it... i can understand that it would be way more impactful if like bunny was likable because then you would actually miss him but at the same time i don't know if it works if you have one likable character exactly. in this group of horrible people yeah i feel like the point I is they're all horrible I think that's yeah. the correct... I, it's almost like you know with agatha christie novels you know it's the unlikable character that gets killed and it's it's entertaining because you want that's not the point of the book the book isn't about that character it's about the surrounding events around the character well my favorite agatha christie novel though is sparkling cyanide where most of the people are genuinely likable including the one who dies mm. although it's been a while but since i, I also think that. you need bunny to be awful at the start because you need to think that Henry is better than Bunny until it gets slowly to reveal to you that actually the real monster that maybe we should have pushed into the ravine was Henry yeah. and not Bunny. Like, I think Bunny is a misdirect all of them. as well. Yeah. Maybe we should have pushed all of them into a ravine. Well, maybe that would have been the solution. But, you know. But I think the books... The, the, uh, I Do you think that Henry was... Setting Richard up as the emergency fall guy. Uh, a little bit, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, I think I he was. Yeah. And I yeah. think he dragged Probably. him in like that, like from day one. I feel like that was yeah. his intention with Richard. And I think it just became more evident as the story went along. And we've got to see who Henry was. How did you feel about the bit of the uh, plot where Henry is invited? by Bunny's parents to stay with them for a I bit. Love like, I just love the idea of Henry being there, surrounded by the people mourning the person that he murdered. Like, 
great torture for him. Mm. Kind of happy that I happened. sort of found it unbearable, unbearably painful. I found the whole funeral unbearably painful. Yeah, it you was. Because I think that yeah. was when you got closest to the people who were really impacted by the death. But I also think um, she kept on Donata, the or Richard, the narrator, kept on insisting that Bunny was his friend. Mm. And I think that was kind of jarring to me. You could either buy in and sort of forget how awful he had been. Mm-hmm. Or you could not buy in and just be sitting there like, well, yeah, but Bunny was an awful person. Yeah. I kind like, of... I think there was a... There was some like weird inconsistency between the tonalities of part one and part two. I feel like Did you feel like... Oh, sorry, go on. No, it. I was gonna say, like, with Richard insisting Bunny was his friend, like I do wonder if Richard maybe because Richard doesn't really realise how much Bunny doesn't like him until very, very late on. And I wonder if Richard is still just kind of in denial about it. That like he thought Bunny was his friend for a really while a long time. Mm. And then Or did he feel just guilty about it like i mean he was guilty he, he did feel guilty about it but i don't know was labeling his him his friend a way to like i don't know did he want to, i think he wanted to feel guilty about it i also think he wanted to imagine that bonnie was his friend even if that wasn't true yeah like he wanted that i think i think richard wanted them to really be friends even though that's very much not the case yeah yeah. I also, I keep on coming back to the question of intelligence. The, the novel seems to think that Bunny's the least intelligent one. But by the end of the novel, like, it's also yeah. torn down Henry's intelligence. Henry seems sort of psychopathic, but has no, doesn't have good judgment, you know? I feel like doesn't, then... Isn't as smart as he thinks he is. None of them seem very smart. And oh my God, why does Richard have to end up doing a PhD in Renaissance literature? <laughs> that was really funny, actually. That didn't that was, make me laugh. That was for you. Don, Don <laughs> that made me laugh so much. I was, like, oh. I was so mad about that. I was like, thank God hey, that's the plays. He dated someone called Sophie. So how do you think we felt? <laughs> um, but like- yeah, but- Sophie at least got to leave him. Renaissance literature is going to stay with him forever. But back to the intelligence thing, I, I do feel like they're measuring intelligence. Like I don't know what you were thinking, Fee, but like I feel like they're measuring intelligence very in a very limited way. In that, like, are you good at Greek? That's where I was going to go off. And I also have to. We also have to now remind ourselves: these are twenty-year-olds. They are like still making awful judgments. And that is kind of expected at that age, especially in, like, university. Yeah. How old was Donna Tartt when she wrote it? I have no idea. But, like, this goes back to them being the exact kind of people that I would would have hated in uni because they're the people that think that they're really, really, really smart. Well, I think there is is something to that because there are always people like that in... There are always people like that in um these very uh elitist universities you know like we only pick the one percent and it's like well it's either the one percent of academic intellect or it's the one percent of money like Uh -uh. and either you know and it doesn't matter if you have one or the other or you know like 
it's that pool and you're either very arrogant about your money or you're very arrogant about your academic smartness intelligence itself is like is just an umbrella term for different types of intelligence like yeah there's no one type and and that's the thing like academia does not is not the be all and end all to set in stone somebody's smartness or if if somebody is smart or not yeah like henry is very very good at ancient greek and with ancient languages and he is intelligent in that category he's incredibly fucking stupid at like basically everything else so overall but like and we were saying in the last episode none of them have street smarts and none of them have this emotional intellect they can't seem to deal with their own emotions so they commit murder like mm. as a cop-out to deal with their feelings and then they mostly deal with the guilt of that with alcohol <laughs> yeah they're also all really elitist yeah yeah that's what we're saying it's an environment of elitism yeah in the like, college you were saying sort of academic smart academic intelligence or money and i think not only do they think that both are equally important but they think that they're intrinsically connected yeah yeah mm-hmm. i don't know if this book and the thing is even after finishing the book i don't know if this novel was making an ob- observational point about that or whether it was just part of the book do you know what i mean i think donna's tart wanted to write an observational novel about the kind of wealthy intelligent people who go to small liberal arts colleges on the east coast but she didn't have the capability to tear down the idea of the institution in itself because she believed in it. Yeah, that's the vibe I get. Like, I think there is a conservative sensibility to this novel in that it understands that everything bad that these characters do is a consequence of their academic and financial elitism. Mm-hmm. but they can't blame them for that entirely because it believes in that you know mm. i don't think it's a coincidence that the one that she kills the one that is killed is both the obviously unintelligent one um the one with learning disabilities as well mm. and the one who is sort of new money in a fake way, you know? Yeah. They have items, but not wealth. Yeah. Yep. It's funny, like, how wherever you go, there is always seems to be a hierarchy. And for no real reason either. Like... I mean, the hierarchy is there to keep the people who are at the top at the top. Yeah, but even at the people at the top, like you expect because with Bunny's money and, and all this stuff, you think these people in this group are at the top, but even in their group, they have a hierarchy. They have a way to differentiate differentiate themselves from other people to make them look higher. And then what happens after the funeral? Uh- I like the bit, I did get more into it after the funeral, when they go back. So let's talk about the group dynamics that, we'd undis- that we kind of discover at this point. Oh my god. Because a lot, a lot was uncovered between this group. Like, suddenly one secret comes out, they all come out. 
Why why did she have to have the twins sleep with each other? That was so unnecessary. Why why was Camilla being passed around? Also, Camilla at the end, like, I don't want her to be with Richard, but her being like, No, I can't be with you. I love Henry. I'm like, girl, for fuck's sake, Henry wasn't that great. God damn it. Finally a woman with worse taste Literally. than me. <laughs> it felt like Jane so, oh. all over again. I I, do you know what? Do you know what it reminded me of? And I think, I don't know if this was the point of having this kind of dynamic between the group, but it definitely, uh-huh. it definitely overlapped was how Greek myths have I exactly this dynamic in them. There is incest. They pimped Camilla. So I do think she wanted to write like a Greek style tragedy where they're sort of the, like, I, I do get those vibes and that's, but I'm not sure it really worked exactly. What's the fatal flaw, though? I mean, there's a lot of hubris, but that's not the only thing that's wrong with them. They're also all um, elitist. No, I didn't. I didn't study Greek, uh-huh. like ancient Greek. Like for me as an outsider, I very much find that this story is like. I don't know. This group feels like they want to be a Greek tragedy, as well as. But also, I feel like the, the problem I have with this is it doesn't really feel like the ending. I guess they're all because the ending doesn't really fit with Greek tragedies for me. Like they don't do they really get their? Does it really all come crashing down on them? I don't really think it does. Like Henry kills himself, but they get out of it. Francis is kind of unhappy, but Charles seems to be living his best life in a very strange way like it doesn't really feel like it all falls apart in the way like in the way that it should the thing is that is that i think that is the reality coming into it that is the reality of privilege where in greek myths these were made up stories um that where the author i mean this is written by an author but you know it's like trying to take a realistic state whereas the myths can have that almost fictional ending of and they all have and there is justice or there is a you know tragedy but this one it's like well privilege saves them at the end of the day and that's the reality Mm. there's no catharsis though no like and that for me what stops it from being a tragedy there's no catharsis there's no like i feel in a greek tragedy you see someone being brought low and you understand it. Whereas this resists a catharsis. I also think, though, it, it's weird to me that this novel written by a woman, a woman, in the main group, there is only one woman and she is desired by all of them, but at the same time sort of uh, objectified and de... de- abused by all of them you know Mm. I think that's I don't know where and again I don't know that if that's the point because they she briefly touches it she briefly touches like Richard as as a narrator briefly touches on it during book one and mentions the misogyny but not I think this is what is unsatisfying about it it feels like it is intentional but it doesn't go into it. It doesn't really address it. It's just kind of there 
and it's mm. acknowledged and it's like well why? is that because richard is our only point of view yeah i think it's because most of the yeah i i guess it's because richard really like as a person resists change like all this shit happens to him and he does not really affect him at all just mm. goes back to california and keeps studying and i'm like so but it, yeah i think it's part of that feeling of like there's too much in this book and not enough of it is addressed properly it's like she's yeah. added all of these elements mm. but like again and it, i feel it also probably stems from like an observational point of like sexism in a 1980s a liberal arts college i'm sure it was a very mm. sexist environment but it's never kind of really given lots of space i also think mm. there's like a in literature there is an 80s tendency to be like i am holding an unflinching mirror up to society it's like okay and what <laughs> you know and what are you doing with that mirror? yeah yeah How, where are you directing that mirror Ex- exactly. how are you framing like yeah when you hold a mirror up to society you are showing a cropped bit of society mm. and so you're not actually a neutral observer you are the editor you are cropping you are framing and including and excluding she's both and i think that's the problem with <laughs> with you know i hold up a mirror you know society provides me with my material i simply show you what life is Mm, it does feel like she's photoshopped something that she wants to say but she's not really saying it she's like alluding to it but it's not enough to feel purposeful i feel like there's a lot of elements that are kind of there but it just doesn't really mesh very well as a whole like there it's there's definitely stuff in there that just shouldn't be there like take out the entire arab racist man subplot just get rid of it (laughs) Mm. I can't believe Richard is still in love with Camilla. I didn't understand that. I felt like that was way too quick. I can't believe Camilla's in love with Henry. Sorry, I keep coming back to that. She was like, I love Henry. And I was like, oh my god. That is ridiculous. I can't. She is worse than you, Annie. You guys need a support group. Yeah, you do need a support group. my problematic men should stay in fiction (laughs) but yeah the incest again felt unnecessary like what did that add i don't know what that added like are we saying all twins are incesting with each other i i feel like that's not an accurate reflection of twins (laughs) it was really gross and the fact that like he was abusing her as well like he's an abuser the whole holding a mirror up to society is that she felt that showing you that working class people were stupid and judgmental and racist yeah. was part of holding up that mirror you know yeah like uh, i would just take that whole subplot out it just doesn't work it just <sighs> cut it i found my i'm found myself with this book frustrated at times because i was just like it was either being dragged out way too much like I, I, I was bored at parts, and then there were then <laughs> yeah. there would be subplots in with some gravitas, but it was never 
fleshed out properly so it's like the boring bits got the attention and the really important bits just kind of got a little flash of like a little bit of limelight a nod rather than a focus i'm just like girl you gotta change the ratio of this yeah like i was bored Mm. up until the ball really started rolling downhill and i was like i know they get away with it but i really want to know because then basically when they come i wanted julian to turn them in yeah i so badly wanted julian to turn them in that's what it should have had. It should have had a bit of betrayal well, but, in it. But also, you know? I think... But, like, justified betrayal. I think Julian was, like... Uh, I don't know. I think it would have been weird if Julian had, like, strong principles for the group that he was teaching. I I feel like if Julian was, like, yeah. you have crossed the yeah. line... Yeah, but at the same like, time, what? I think Donna Tart really likes Julian. Or the novel likes Julian. Maybe it's Richard, but maybe it but I felt like it was more than that, you know? The novel believed in Julian. Mm. Do you guys understand the cult following of this book? Not to the... Now that I've read it, not to the extent, because actually my idea of what this would be is now seemingly very different to what it actually was. The controversial nature of some of this book is the same that is in Dark Academia itself, which is this romanticization of privilege. It's also boring. Like the dark academia aesthetic, it's boring. I don't even really and understand it's... it. Oh, I like that. I don't. I like the aesthetic, but I don't think it's. But I think the like the reading list associated with it—they have nothing interesting or introspective or like. I think mm. that there is a lot of emptiness at the heart of it. I think I don't know if it's emptiness. I think it's just look, an, an aesthetic is supposed to be empty. There's no there's not supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be accessible to all. The the it is purely for looks. That is it. It's a vibe. That is it. It's not a practice, it's not a religion. But the cult following of this sort of book. I don't necessarily know why that is. I don't know if it because it's so well, well, he fits in with the aesthetic. I don't know. I just found it like a bit hard to digest, really, because it, it didn't feel like it felt like bran, you know, like you're eating bran and your tummy makes a gargling sound and then it just all kind of passes through and you're not like, you, you feel like I'm not like, and then you feel like that was a pointless <laughs> meal. You know what I mean? Also, for for dark academia, like, I think I would have liked the book to be more focused on academia. Like, it's there, but I don't feel like that's... It's like window... Like, I don't know. I I imagine dark academia to be a bit more, like, intense about the academia. Mm. (laughs) Well, no, I think that's the thing. It's not. Like, I think it's the most boring understanding of what it means to be intelligent and engaged with the academy and I think that that's what this book has as well like it's intelligent as an aesthetic value rather than something else but I don't I don't necessarily think it is just that I think dark academia within itself 
the dark academia aesthetic is almost the glamorization of learning you know like but learning what and why and how we're still in academic institutions generations and generations are still in academic institutions whether they are of this privilege or not and I think dark academia is a way to glamorize what they're already part of without having to have the privilege or the I don't know the environment they don't have to be studying in a stonewall 1400 university to feel like they're studying something interesting I would say that whatever the merits of dark academia are I feel like this book probably doesn't do a good job of selling them no I think what it does is highlights its problems rather than exudes its like its beauty like I'm not sure this book would be pro dark academia it feels like a weird book to take up as your 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 baby if you're into that aesthetic I'm not sure it's really pro that (laughs) yeah I think if you are have an uncomplicated relationship to privileged institutions which valorize the the kind of western educational canon Mm. I can see why you'd like both dark academia and this book Mm-hmm. That is not to say that dark academia, like I don't know enough about dark academia to say whether it's only interested in valorizing institutional power and the Western educational canon. Mm. But like, if that's what you're into it for, then this book is also shares your politics. Mm-hmm. I will say there is a dark academia book that I am kind of interested in reading, and that is Babel. Yeah, yeah. I have heard yeah. that because it's, I... it's much more interested in problematizing the academy. Mm. And but... also because I'm reading Poppy War at the moment, and I'm like, mm. I feel like that, if I've anything was going to get me to like dark academia, it's what RF Quang, I still haven't figured out. Quang? For... Quang? RF Quang. Yeah. Yeah. Quang. I feel like it's what she's doing. I feel like if I'm going to get it, I need to read that book and not this book. So when I say the academy, I don't mean Hampton College. I mean the institution of academia, if that makes sense. I think that within the novel, the framing, and this isn't just Richard's perspective, this is presented to us as factual matter, right? Mm. There is something more, that those inside the academy are more intelligent than those outside. And that means that those outside the academy are either like bunny's parents and they are vapid and shallow or they're mm-hmm. like the locals and they're sort of prejudiced and and racist or they're the novel doesn't kind of present you with anyone externally that kind of suggests otherwise that richard is wrong yeah if that, if that makes sense richard parents are sort of unloving and shallow and yeah. francis's mother is sort of detached and i would say the nicest people in the novel are actually the other students at the academy they're people like judy poovey and the yeah. and the lecturers at, yeah. the at hampton yeah. college they're, they're the people that like they're not they're like yes richard has a disdain for them because they're not you know like judy mm. takes i don't know theatrical arts or whatever and he's like oh i say that's not very intellectually stimulating um but she actually shows sort of like care 
and compassion for him throughout the course of the novel she goes out of her way to be helpful they're Mm. kind of i think and i think that's way of donatar's way of showing you okay the people in the greek clique are wrong Mm. they're the people that are being elitist but when you look at the people outside of Hampton College, you don't get the sense that this whole we got into Hampton College, therefore we're better than each other is necessarily kind of wrong. There's not a lot to draw that from, I don't think. Yeah. I think when it comes to Richard, the thing I found about him was like, I thought because he came from a different a, a different socioeconomic background, he would be able to provide some critique on this well, I think as a character Richard is romanticizing it he wants right that. he's yeah. buying into that he wants yeah. because also i get the sense that richard is the kind of person that yeah he thinks he's better than everybody around him he thinks he's one of the intelligent members of the outside mm-hmm. like he's smarter than his parents he's smarter than you know your average person in california you know he has such this disdain for like the entire state Mm. Like, he wants that, and I think, yeah. And I think the novel thinks that it can critique Richard's romanticization of the Academy while still believing in the Academy as an institution worthy of its privilege. Right. Like, I think that's the thing. I think the novel is interested in breaking down Richard's romanticization of the Academy but at the same time, it also romanticizes the academy, just in a mm. in a different way. I also think that there are some people. I don't think this is why everyone likes it, but I think there are probably some people who are attracted to the idea of of wealthy, intelligent people being allowed to do things that mere mortals aren't. You know, mm. I think the appeal of this book is complicated. Yeah, it's a weird book to be such a hit now i do feel like this book feels kind of dated yeah i i second that like it it feels very much kind of you could tell it was written in the 80s then published in the early 90s like it it feels yeah um i also think there's something weird about the way in which ages it functions in this book like she was 29 when it was published and the book is written by Richard as such a, like, end of life. I am reflecting on the horrors thing. But he's 28, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, should we do some ratings? Yeah. Um, Let's get into ratings. Yeah. Okay. Very briefly, our rating system is based on whether or not you should buy this book. Um, one star is it's not worth reading. Two stars is, well, I'll get it from the library. Three stars is, buy it in paperback. Four stars is, splash yourself, you know, spring for the hardback, you won't regret it. And five stars is, save up for that Waterstone special limited edition. <laughs> Which, somewhat appropriately enough, this is the 30th anniversary of this book and there are a lot of special editions floating around. Yeah, one costing um, fifty pounds. So, um, not to you know completely fail to read the room or anything, but is anyone feeling like they're going to spring for the special edition? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> definitely not in this cost of living crisis. 
I think I think this Although would I do it for the five water stones points? Yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like this is probably a three for me. Like admittedly I didn't I didn't especially for the like the I think it's a three. Admittedly, I didn't buy this book. I already had the paperback, so I'm like, yeah, this feels like a paperback book. But also in a sort of like, oh, I'll give this to someone else for a bit and they can have it. Mm. Like, I don't, I'm not going to rush them to get it back, but if they're interested in it, I'll be like, yeah, I have a copy. You don't need to buy it yourself. Here you go. Yeah, it's a, it's a three for me as well. I think it's, I think it is one of those things where you like, it's one of those books which there is interest to understand why everybody is talking about it or there's interest to understand it in general yeah and for all the critique we had about this book we can't you can't say that there's like there's nothing to talk about because no, no. It, it almost arises more questions than answers but i think a lot of what we talked about was criticisms and concerns about this book you know mm-hmm. which is fair it's it's contents fueled those yeah. discussions. It's minor looks into these event, like into these concerning predicaments and and these like atrocities yeah. is yeah. is a conversation starter at the very the very most really. <laughs> yeah, part of me wants to give this book a two. Mm, I can imagine that. Yeah. Because I I really do think like oh god just get it from the library. I mean I would give it a point five based on its look and fluffiness, you know yeah. like. Also, my yeah. three is a bit like. But I. I don't regret buying it. Yeah. That's why I'm going to give it a three. I don't regret buying it, and I don't regret having read it, mm-hmm. which is why I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. yeah. But. If someone told me they wanted to read it, I'd be like, oh, borrow my copy, yeah. get it from the library. That, that would yeah. be my like, vibe. I'd be like, don't buy it yourself. I'll just lend it to you. You're probably not going to want to yeah. read it again. So you probably yeah. won't regret yeah. not owning your own copy, I think. Like, I'm definitely not going to read this book again. <laughs> no. God, no. One thing I do want to say, mm. just now that we don't have book news episodes, is R.I.P. to Hilary Mantel. Oh, yes. R.I.P. to Hilary Mantel. Yeah. yeah. Thoughts and I prayers to the family. I love Wolf Hall. Mm. I love the second one. <laughs> Bringing down the bodies? Whatever it's called. True fan uh-huh. right there. Bringing down the bodies? <laughs> Bringing up the bodies. I've never read either of them. Yet... <laughs> Neither. I have not yet read the third one because I'm not ready for Thomas Cromwell to die. I I hope her her series gets a resurrection like Michael Jackson when he died and you know how all his singles were number one you know <laughs> i feel like yeah, the same should be maybe... done for literary authors yeah. i feel like maybe you guys ones. should read wolf hall and bringing up bodies and then we can all read the light in the mirror together if you guys are ready to say goodbye to thomas cromwell which i'm not i feel like my time for being interested in wolf hall has passed and now i'm just like do i want to read about the tudors and my mind is like fuck no I just don't yeah. like that period of history. I, like I can't not have read Wolf. No, Hall. you can't. You not know what have. I mean? But like I just yeah. don't like that period of history, and I'm like, oh, can I be bothered now? So long. I think after Henry VIII, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with these Tudors, man. <laughs> My dad went to 
Hampton, my parents went to Hampton Court Flower Show the other day and my dad rang me up and was like, God, you were so obsessed with the Tudors as a kid. We really should have seen this coming. <laughs> have you been to anyway, six? Anyway, R.I.P. Hilary Mantel. R.I.P. Hilary Mantel. Oh, yes. um, and now... Fee, if you would like to announce our October book club pick. Yes, I would love to. Welcome, autumn lovers. Welcome to the club. <laughs> mm-hmm. Welcome to autumn. Yes. Okay, we won't get into it because <laughs> there will be an argument. But <laughs> so this October for book club, we have chosen The Lighthouse Witches uh, by CJ Cook cook with an e on the end so c-o-o-k-e i had a teacher called mr cook physics teacher oh, yeah, cook. I remember him. <laughs> he was weirdly obsessed yeah. with lamy pens i yes <laughs> sorry <laughs> i do right <laughs> anyway so in the past five years i've done a complete one eight sorry <laughs> it's all right go on I've done a complete 180 on fountain pens. I now only use gel ballpoint. I think King Charles will be using the same with the with the events that have happened <laughs> over the past few days. I feel like every kid had a, who used a fountain pen had like a hand filled with blue ink. I was gonna say I had to use a fountain pen at school. We weren't allowed to use biros. Did they make us use fountain pens for a while? I can't remember. I feel like but we did like... have to own them. At one point, but I can't remember. I feel like they chilled out by something. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry, Waterstones website it is, but essentially, this is about a cursed lighthouse. It's deserted upon the cliffs of a remote Scottish island, and strange and terrible events have happened here. And it started all with a witch hunt. Mm. Centuries later, islanders are vanishing. We have a lost family. Where Liv stay and her children. So her, her yeah. name is Liv stay, not that she stayed, but Liv stay. <laughs> they don't believe in witches and curses, but within months of arriving on the island, her daughter Luna is the only one of the children who have been left remain. <gasps> this book yeah. has dead children. No, it's that they've gone missing, Annie. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, okay. I was like, I'll read it even if the children are dead, but like I wasn't expecting that left left not for <laughs> i thought left is in left it, alive it could have been either way. islanders are vanishing Va- i mean we don't know we don't oh, know. anyway vanishing. let's not jump ahead anyway but 20 oh, years i'm excited 20... i'm gonna I mean, i'm worried about these she's children. gonna read gonna buy this book and read it very quickly <laughs> we're doing a really bad job with but this 20 one. years later luna's missing sister turns up out of the blue oh my gosh she is exactly the girl luna remembers the same face the same smile but most importantly the same age i'm intrigued mm. interesting and that's um, isn't it a good pick yeah no and it's currently on offer on waterstones oh, little bargain <gasps> bargain guys come okay. on we thought i thought witches lovely we love a we love a witch during october mm-hmm. um and um the seasonal grinch also, uh, will allow halloween to happen in october also weird scottish islands perfect perfect uh-huh. Can I ever tell you about my uncles, my great uncles who ran away to a Scottish island? 
Oh yeah, you did, didn't they? Run away from pit prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they 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 <laughs> they're on a Ponzi scheme. Um, <laughs> and they lived. They ran away to a remote Scottish island and lived in a tent. And also, I have ancestors that used to run a lighthouse. So this is oh very my cool. god, oh my gosh. with my Scottish island ancestors yeah, and your lighthouse a... ancestors. And, and Fee, your like, writing museum. ancestors. <laughs> this is our book, you know? Yeah, this, this is our book. So stay tuned for October. Come read with us <laughs> to un- uncover why Annie's, <laughs> Annie's uncles ran away. Why Sophie... <laughs> Wait, what was your thing, Sophie? Lighthousekeepers. <laughs> no, my my dad's yeah. family used to run a what lighthouse. Happens in a lighthouse. We've got a lighthouse, abandoned Scottish Isles, and you know, I don't know really how I fit into this yet, but maybe we'll find You've out. You've got I don't ancestry know. of fine literature. Yeah, but I don't know how that really ties in because we run a book podcast, so <laughs> that's always relevant. <laughs> that's always relevant. <laughs> I'm well, always this time, okay. me and Soph get to be a little bit relevant as well. <laughs> anyway, if, thank you for staying. If you've stuck this long with our uh, yeah, incredibly listening chaotic description of October's uh, book club, <laughs> there will God. be more. Yeah, and um, more oh, chaos ha- or more, more of chaos. That's the point. Point yeah. of this podcast is. <laughs> chaotic book discussion you know i'm sorry sophie did you think lazy sunday meant we were going to be calm and orderly lazy sunday means like no i just love that everyone in my life lazy sunday is about chaos lazy sunday means like like i have a manager that's like her motto is be chaotic all the time (laughs) (laughs) she literally told a colleague this you know what? It's amazing. You know what? I'm imagining. I'm imagining her having a sign like that, like "Live, Laugh, Love," but instead, it's just being chaotic all the time. <laughs> oh, love that! Right. Anyway, so I think we'll leave it there. Thanks Have a great week, everyone, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.